Want to learn what sets LiveFlow apart from thousands of other QuickBooks Online apps? Do you want to learn how LiveFlow saves time for hundreds of accountants and bookkeepers? Want to learn how LiveFlow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use LiveFlow successfully in their firm? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LiveFlow, later in the episode. So basically, you take Accounting 101, and they offer you an internship for very next year, essentially. And then not only that, now people are going on to high schools. They're trying to be, they're trying to reach people earlier in the funnel. Yeah. Like in high school to become accountants and come to their firms. It's, I, it won't work. And the reason it won't work is because you're not solving the underlying issues that are causing them not to choose a career in accounting, which is the long hours, the low pay, and the boring work as an entry-level associate. You can promote it all you want, but it, you know, you put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. Last day of the year, Blake. We finally made it. End of 2022. Happy New Year's Eve. And as is tradition, we will be making predictions. Like big ones, like crypto's going to fall more. Like, I don't know, but you've been teasing this for weeks, so we well, got. I like to read the other people's predictions, like especially predictions that are outside of our our industry, and kind of learn from some of those. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that that's that's very interesting. Uh, I just spent the week in Vegas again. Again, what what like, took you to Vegas in the week my, between Christmas and New Year's? My youngest, Jameson, which some of you have met if you were at Scaling New Heights, he did. He competed in the national chess tournament. Really? So yeah, it, it's a. Uh, it's interesting because you're used to going to conferences and stuff. So there's a lot of people there competing, and it's like seven-year-olds to 75-year-olds all playing chess, and these games take three and a half. And as each level goes up, right, they take four hours, five hours, six-hour games of chess, which is just emotionally and mentally draining. But, but yeah, four, three nights in Vegas is just too much, even if you're not at a conference. It's just too much. <laughs> well, we just stayed here in the Phoenix area. My aunt and uncle were supposed to come from Rochester, to visit us, but they got tangled up in the whole Southwest uh, collapse of the airline <laughs> that happened. We Did you hear we wound up having to drive. Yeah, we were at really? the airport. They, they, oh. Southwest didn't say they canceled the flights until obviously you get to the airport, and we just got in the car and drove to Vegas. And then, then Southwest canceled the return flight, which doesn't matter because we're in Vegas with a car. But yeah, yeah. the well, not so great communication. I want to talk about that because I think there's a tie-in to the profession. What's crazy about what happened with Southwest is, just for our listeners who don't know the numbers, the numbers are really dramatic. They canceled two-thirds of all of their flights for days. And initially, they had a really good reason. It was the weather. And so my aunt and uncle were driving from their place near Rochester to Buffalo to get a plane to go to Sacramento first, and then they were going to come here. And as they were driving, the storm started happening, so they had to turn around and go home. So they didn't and Buffalo get stuck. had its own problems of its own airport oh. and its own yeah, I mean, situation outside of the national problems of weather. Right, yeah. right. And they got, you know, four feet of snow in, like, hours. I mean, it's crazy amount. And uh, so that was legit. And Southwest has a bunch of hubs and areas that tend to get uh, hit by snow. So this is normal. But then they couldn't recover. And... That is what led to the cascading series of cancellations in the days that followed, even when the weather was good, even at airports like Las Vegas and Phoenix, which have no weather problems. The only problem we have is when it gets so hot, the planes can't take off, yeah. which is very rare. And, and a really I remember years ago, because going to San Francisco, I'd have to fly through LA all the time, right? On Southwest, mm-hmm. Tucson, uh, LA. And I remember just sitting there and talking to somebody who's an old guy that's been flying Southwest forever. And he's like, Southwest never had a late or canceled flight until they started going to the East Coast. Because when they only served Texas, Arizona, and California, in Utah a little bit, there was no reason for the flights to ever get canceled. But as soon as flights had to start coming from Chicago and the East Coast, and then at that, it's a domino effect, right? Yeah. If a flight from Chicago has to land in LA and that's your plane, you can't take off from LA. Right? Yeah. So uh, I want to talk about why that happened. It was a technology issue near and dear to my heart, uh, but I'll save that until we is get it, to okay. apps. Yeah, no, ask, go ahead, David. Oh, no, I mean, is it just a technology issue? It really I, I was. Kind of... it, so in essence, Southwest 
has a system for tracking staff, their employees. In order to report your location, you have to call a phone number. In 2022, that's how Southwest yeah. tracks where its pilots are, where its flight crews are. They call a phone number. So they were all trying to call in, and their system couldn't handle it. So that's what. That's let's why. Let's go they, right into this article then. Let, 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 let's because let, I, I, obviously being in the cancellation, like thought about this raw, and there's way more overlaps to our industry in this. I know, right? But, so, 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 so I was. The, I was so this all is not set up an article. to play a game. I was all set up to play a game with you, Blake. Okay, and and now we can't because you already your your brainwave is already in the same spot mine is. Okay, but so like like to, I was just going to play a game and try to ask you who, what industry am I talking about, right? And I'm going to read you some quotes and obviously I had to pull out the word Southwest so it wasn't obvious. Here's the okay. quotes and tell me what this sounds like. It's actually the failure of upper executive management to ensure its IT infrastructure can take on the growth and expansion we've taken over the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it said it was fully staffed and prepared heading into the season, but stretched this tools and capacity. Staff said they've been flagging issues for years. For more than a decade, leadership shortcomings in adapting and innovating and safeguarding operations have led to repeated system disruptions, countless disappointed clients. Many of our per- people have forced to work 16-hour and 18-hour days during the season. The glory days were in the 80s and 90s, and you still have that same IT system. The entire industry has been running around trying to satisfy customer demands that have stretched manpower really thin across the industry. And like that could be about our industry. It's the same lines. That actually sounds like accounting, but it's not. Are you telling it's me that's not. Southwest? That is the airline industry. It's not even wow. Southwest. Just the industry like, in general? This is, and, and a lot of it's staffing. They're understaffed. So if you have this, if your system is, your capacity is so tight that all it takes is some bad weather and you can't get your pilots to the right place to take off the next airplane, right. you just domino. They, they have a staffing problem. Like this well, is us. I, I wouldn't say it's a staffing problem. It's just they've, they've set up systems uh, and schedules that maximize their resources. So like you said, the limited resources though, they have their pilot shortages, right? Right. They, they don't have spare capacity. So if a pilot gets sick or a plane has a maintenance issue or a flight crew gets lost on the way to the airport, that cascades through the system. Now, normally it doesn't cascade too bad, but when there's a lot of them all at once, they get this perfect storm type of situation. So I, I was wondering what was going on with this, and I saw a Facebook post that became very, very popular by Larry Lanero, who says he's a Southwest pilot for over 35 years. He says, what happened to Southwest Airlines? I've been a pilot for Southwest Airlines for over 35 years. I've given my heart and soul to Southwest Airlines during those years, and quite honestly, Southwest Airlines has given its heart and soul to me and my family. Many of you have asked what caused this epic meltdown. Unfortunately, the frontline employees have been watching this meltdown coming like a slow-motion train wreck for some time, and we've been begging our leadership to make much-needed <laughs> changes in order to avoid it. Who does that sound like? Again, Who does that right? sound These like, are the right? same quotes. Right. What happened like yesterday started two decades ago. Uh, so then he goes into the history, talking about Herb, or Herb Kelleher, who was the CEO of Southwest Airlines until 2004. He was an operational leader. He spent a lot of time on the front line. He had his uh, pulse on the day-to-day operation and the people who ran it. And he's the guy who turned Southwest into a national, international airline. He made it into what and it I, is. I think arguably he's one of the top CEOs in history uh, yeah. of not just Southwest, but in industry in general. I have my understanding. Yeah. So get this. Uh, I kind of skipped through that part of the post. It's a long one. So I'm just going to go to the the part that uh, where the accountants come in. So- Herb retired in 2004, and Gary Kelly became the new CEO. Gary was an accountant by education, and his style leading Southwest Airlines became more (laughs) focused on finances and less on operations. He did not spend much time on the front lines. He didn't engage frontline employees much. When the CEO doesn't get out in the trenches, then neither do the lower levels of leadership. Gary named another accountant to be chief operating officer. The new COO had little or no operational background. This trickled down through the lower levels of leadership as well. They all disengaged the operation, disengaged the employees, and focused more on return on investment, stock buybacks, and Wall Street. This approach worked for Gary's first eight years because we were still riding the strong wave that Herb had built. And 
the accountants running Southwest Airlines. I, I did not know this, this part of it. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know yeah. the stories were this intertwined. <laughs> so they extracted value from Southwest. They drove up the stock price. They they grew the company, but they did not invest in the technology. And those who fly Southwest a lot are aware that this has happened before in smaller ways. There were a few meltdowns in previous years that lasted a day and then yep. got resolved. So at worst, people were delayed a day. This was multiple days in a really uh, important time of year where, like me, I didn't get to see my aunt and uncle who are in their late 70s. And for me, that's really important. I haven't seen them in like 10 years. And now I'm not gonna get to see them until the spring. Luckily, they're gonna come, but you can't screw up at Christmas time, right? That's when family comes together. So yeah, they had these small semi little meltdowns, but leadership ignored it. And they were operating with 1990s technology. They didn't invest in the new technology. They were now a large and sophisticated airline and they were still running on a system that required the people in the field to call in on the phone in order to report their location. I, I kind of heard they are not very, they're not cloud-based either. I think I saw a little blurb about that from an industry. I would believe that, right? <laughs> they're 20, not cloud. They have 20,000 employees, 20,000 frontline employees. Sorry, they have more than that, than that but 20,000 like flying the planes, right? 20,000 frontline employees have to call in. No automation had been developed to run the sophisticated machine. So when you have this like complicated set of point to point routes, which is how Southwest operates, they're different yeah. than a hub and spoke system. Hub and spoke is everybody flies to uh, one Chicago. airport yeah. Yeah, and then goes out to the other ones. And that's much more easy to operate because most of your people end up flying back to the same airport every day. Whereas Southwest operates a point-to-point -point system where a flight might originate in Phoenix and go to New York and then go to Tampa and then go to Seattle and then just whatever works, right? And that kind of system, everybody's everywhere. So you can't just get everyone together and say, all right, you're going to get on this plane, you're going to get on this plane. You have to have a system. So... Basically, it sounds like they're blaming the accountants in this post. I don't know if that's true, but I just had to bring it up because I saw, oh, the CEO is an accountant, you know, the, I mean, what, not good for the brand. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Zoho. I'm sure you've heard of Zoho before. We've probably even mentioned Zoho CRM or Zoho Books on this podcast in the past, but do you really know about Zoho? Did you know that Zoho offers an entire suite of solutions to run your firm, including a CRM, expense tracking, bookkeeping, a full office suite, a support ticket system, and workflow automation? Did you know that Zoho offers a suite of solutions for your clients' bookkeeping, including bookkeeping, inventory, invoicing, subscription management, and a checkout app? Did you know that Zoho has an accountants program? Did you know that Zoho advisors get free access to eight Zoho applications and a dedicated account manager? If you want to learn more about becoming a Zoho advisor, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Zoho. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash Z-O-H-O. Taking this back to us, because this does sound like us. Mm -hmm. Are we set up for a similar collapse? I mean, we already had the IRS teetering. But I'm thinking about just my own personal return. It's dependent on companies and banks and brokerages, right? And internal accountants, which they're short-staffed, right? If I don't get all my paperwork out to me on by deadlines, I can't do my taxes. And right. on top of that, we have business returns. I mean, you and I, between the two of us, are working with four or five different accounting firms. And there's things one firm needs to do to issue a return or we need our 10Ks. And then, uh, you know, we get this to use to do the other return. And are we, like... And a possible collapse of our own in this industry of all it's gonna this domino where because even right now I think you know firms can't service our clients because they can't get the information back from the IRS are we just kind of teetering on the same embarrassment and then they'll really blame the accountants right? well I guess the question is what would be the equivalent large-scale disaster in accounting Southwest they have all these cancellations people are mad they're stranded Right. What would happen in accounting if we had a meltdown? And I guess it would be another Enron. That's what we risk in accounting is at a large scale in a way that will affect the public is, as we talked about in our last episode, a third of audits are significantly deficient to the point where the auditor should not have issued the opinion. They didn't collect enough evidence. 
if you think about that, that means like a third of companies are out there with financial statements issued that people are relying on that really probably shouldn't be relied upon. Or we don't know if they can be relied upon. That's the question. And so, yeah, I think the the environment is there where people aren't watching what's going on. And yeah, it, it might not just be something like FTX, which is contained to crypto. It might be something that is broader and sets off the next recession. So that's the risk we run. I mean, yes, there's we have room in here, right, to where accountants and accounting firms can uh, file for extensions with the IRS. There's, you know, but even the IRS is technically their computer system's not up to snuff. And you, you could you could argue that we're already in a slow moving version of what's happening at Southwest in accounting when it comes exactly, to that's taxes. That's what I. That's my. That's that's yeah. my. My goodness. Because in- there's still returns that are not being processed. There's all this stuff is snowballing, and it's making working in tax such a painful thing that people are quitting because they say, "Why would I? Why would I want to deal with these issues?" And these angry clients, they're angry at me because of the IRS. I mean, maybe this is why 300,000 accountants quit their jobs in the last two years. That's 17 percent of the U.S. accounting and auditing workforce. 300,000 U.S. accountants and auditors quit their jobs and didn't stay in accounting. 17% of our workforce decided to leave in two years. That is, I think, an existential threat to the profession. And the question is, what do we do about it? We've been talking, I've been soapboxing for years now, it feels like, about the 150-hour requirement. Uh, making it easier for people to enter the profession. That's one way to do it. The AICPA doesn't believe that that will work. I've got a letter from the chair of the AICPA specifically addressing that issue that that uh, he he sent this message, and then two days later, we get this Wall Street Journal story about 300,000 accountants quitting their jobs. And, and this, this, the timing this- is incredible. This story, the accounts quitting their jobs, different versions of it have been kind of floating around now too on other medias as well. I have a, you know, the same article I realized after I went through mine, but it's the same exact article, the same interviews with the same accounting students. Yeah. So it was, it originated on the, on the Wall Street Journal and then others have picked it up. I think, you know, Bloomberg's talking about it now. It gets syndicated through Bloomberg. So the headline is on the Wall Street Journal, why so many accountants are quitting. And they've got a great picture of the CEO of KPMG talking to a sort of like half-empty class of accountants at a university (laughs) uh, about how great accounting is. Yeah, and the the opening paragraph is more than 300,000 U.S. accountants and auditors have left their jobs in the past two years, a 17% decline, and the dwindling number of college students coming into the field can't fill the gap. And that's the big, bigger problem uh, is not only do we have people leaving the profession, college students aren't coming in in great enough numbers to replace those who have left. And the article and that's continues. that's never mind even CPA, just, just getting accounting degrees. Yeah, just people like with, a, yeah. just accounting in without CPA, right, is still having trouble. The exodus is driven by deeper workplace shifts than baby boomer retirements. Young professionals in the 25 to 34-year-old range and mid-career professionals between the ages of 45 and 54 also departed in high numbers starting in 2019, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Recruiters who have been luring experienced accountants into new roles say they are often moving into jobs in finance and technology, which accountants are really well suited to because we're numbers people. And yeah, not running airlines, but maybe technology. <laughs> <laughs> numbers and systems people, right? Yeah. Well, one thing that they caught my eyes, they, they, which is nice about articles like this, because usually when there's articles like this, they're only talking to like senior leaders in our profession who are kind of out of touch. And what I loved about this article, they talked to real accounting students. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the one of the quotes I liked is like, many college students don't want to work in accounting, even those who majored in it. Right. And the the student, he's at Clemson University, Jordan Pixley. He said he he loved the numbers. He loved his accounting classes. And then he started to take on work and he just could not stand the repetitive task, balancing cash, uh, balancing cash sheets. Uh, it was just less interesting. Yeah. And then. He basically chose not to apply at KPMG after he was recruited, and now he's looking to do opportunities in the U.S. military. Right, and and and, and I'm not like wait, wait, stop there for a second. So, yeah. and the reason given in the Wall Street Journal story 
about why he chose the military instead of KPMG or why he's looking into the military is the hours. He is aware that you have to work 70 to 80 hour weeks at the big firms. And he said, quote, I was a little scared of it, not going to lie. I don't know if I want to do all that, unquote. And so the military is less scary to him than KPMG. Yeah, which, which in theory, the hours you're going to work in the military, the gruelingness and always the risk of war and real danger. Yeah. And arguably the military po- is possibly harder than most of the career choices you could uh, make. He's uh, saying I, accounting might be harder than that. Well, and I'm going to guess that when you're an accountant in the military, it's a little easier. <laughs> I, I, you know, they're not, probably not putting you on the front lines, right? Probably good. Well, that's hours. a whole separate discussion because, like, we've we've seen about these audits of the military and these toilet seats that cost ten million dollars and stuff like oh, yeah. that. That's a different well, kind of know, accounting. If you work as an accountant in the military, you don't have to reconcile apparently because nobody actually. It's like ever crypto accounting. You. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> isn't that, this is a crazy thing? I I, I don't want to get into this like sidetrack too much, but yeah, the the military can't pass an audit and never like it hasn't ever. <laughs> like, we just don't know what happens to all that money. Um, and, and the other, the the interesting thing too, they talk about in this, and and I think the accounting twins, you know, had the same thing happen to them. So it talks about how PwC needs to recruit forty two hundred entry level associates for fall twenty twenty three, and they're starting now to to offer internships to sophomores in college. So basically, you take accounting one hundred one, and they offer you an internship for very next year, essentially. And then not only that, now people are going on to. High schools, they're trying to be, they're trying to reach people earlier in the funnel. Yeah. Like in high school to become accountants and come to their firms. It's, I, it won't work. And the reason it won't work is because you're not solving the underlying issues that are causing them not to choose a career in accounting, which is the long hours, the low pay, and the boring work as an entry level associate. You can promote it all you want, but, it, you know, you put li- lipstick, put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. So my wife is a, a counselor, right, yeah. at a high school, and they have a career day coming up here in March or April. I don't know what day it is. And my, she's like, "Would you like to come and speak about maybe accounting or podcasting, <laughs> like how to be a podcaster?" And I was like, "If I do the how to be a podcaster, lots of people are going to come to that session." Yes, <laughs> but accounting they might not. But it's like, but I was like, mm-hmm. "Can I just do both?" <laughs> But there that, you go. that's where we're at. Like, I, how do you even encourage somebody to go to a session that says how to become an accountant if the choices are how to be a TikToker or a podcaster? I don't know. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Think about this. If you have approximately 60 clients and create five reports a month for each of them, that's over 3,500 reports a year. And let's say you're really fast and it only takes you one minute per report. That's almost 2.5 days a year you spend creating reports. Here are a few of the ways LiveFlow saves time for so many accountants and bookkeepers. Once you create the perfect suite of reports for a client, you can just copy the Google Sheet, use LiveFlow to connect it to a different client's QuickBooks Online company, and you're all done. The new reports will pull in the data for the second client automatically. You can easily drill down on the details of each number on a LiveFlow report, including drilling down to the transaction level to navigate directly to the transaction inside of QuickBooks Online. No more opening QuickBooks Online to search for specific transactions. LiveFlow and Google Sheets are in the cloud, so you don't have to waste time emailing files between your team and your clients. And you can give your clients access to a suite of reports that they can access anytime, eliminating one-off requests for you and your staff. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. Stop manually updating your spreadsheets with LiveFlow. So also in this article is a paragraph, a discussion of the pay. And the pay is lower compared to four-year degrees that you can earn in technology and finance. And so why would you major in accounting, have to do a extra year to get your master's and then sit for the CPA exam? and make less money than somebody who does four years and doesn't have to do an exam or a fifth year. That's kind of basic math to me. And it's a difference of tens of thousands of dollars in terms of tuition, and then more than that in terms of your time. The average accountant coming out of college, it depends on where you're at. 
But let's say you're in New York City, a high cost of living area. New York City firms now have to disclose pay. And so the Wall Street Journal cites a job posting that has an entry-level tax associate job based in New York City with a range of between $71,000 and $82,000. And if you're elsewhere in the country, that might sound great. But in New York, like that's not a ton of money to live on. And um, I spotted another article in Bloomberg, another stat. What's the lowest pay U.S. workers would accept for a new job? Actually, David, I'm going to have you guess that. What is the lowest pay U.S. workers would accept for a new job? I think I saw something like this. It's like $72,000 now. $74,000. Okay, so, okay. Yeah. So basically, the, the lower end of the range of that job in New York City is lower than what workers are willing to accept. So it's very bottom of the barrel. And that's on average, that Bloomberg stat. That's not in high cost of living areas. So in, in a high cost of living area like New York City, it's probably even, it's got to be even higher. So that's a problem. It's the pay is, the pay is low, the hours are long, and the work is not uh, rewarding. So I got more on this, David. You know, I can go on and on and on about the future no, I, of the profession. I have a, and, uh, one, uh, an article that ties into about, you know, the article has a weird title. The CPA pipeline includes the present. And this is written by, it's in accounting today. It's written by Amber Setter. She's, her title is the Chief Enlightenment Officer for Conscious Public Accountants. She thinks that we need to support candidates better that are trying to become accountants or trying to become CPAs. And like, so one thing is just advocacy, right? Like really making sure you're you're pushing them to get licensed, right? At your firm, you're creating scenarios where they're not overworked and they can, you know, they can finish all their tests in that 18th month period. Um, she also said that you have to save your war stories. Like you can't, if people are in this journey to become a CPA, don't tell them what you did 20 years ago and how you had to work 80 hours a week. It's not going to help. Th- that's not going to attract people to our profession. Um, empathy, right? Just yep. completely being more empathetic to these people and then providing emotional support. So it's at some level, this isn't filling the funnel, but this could these types of behaviors could help us not kick a couple people out of the funnel. <laughs> like he, keep, he could keep, a, like everything's going to help maybe is a way to kind of think about this. So the ASCPA continues to have its head in the sand about this issue. And thank you to Chase for sending me one of the latest emails from the ASCPA, specifically addressing the 150-hour requirement as we end the year. Chase said, thought you'd find this interesting. Seems like the ASCPA's position on getting more folks to get their license will not be about lowering education requirements or creating alternative pathways into the profession, but rather finding ways to reduce education costs, aka more scholarships, creating a more palatable way to pass the exam, and creating better starting jobs and growth paths in firms. In other words, boiling the ocean instead of the hot tub in their backyard. Uh, and what he forwarded to me was an email from Anoop Mehta. He's a CPA and the chair of the American Institute of CPAs. And he's been the chair now for a little less than a year, I think. And he's been traveling around the country talking to students at colleges and universities in accounting. Uh, and I, there was something really revealing that he said in one of the AICPA town halls. And I would like to play that for you. Let me get this going over here. And while you're doing that, I just want to like say like the AICPA town halls might be the best thing the AICPA is currently doing. Like, and they've like you know they kind of came to this game a little bit, but they've been consistent about it. They're out there. There's actually good information. I, I guess, but also, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the, the, their the messaging li- is what bothers you. <laughs> well, the thing is, they're not listening to the members. The members are telling them this 150 hour rule is a problem. And the ICPA keeps saying, no, it's not. It's not enough just to have a podcast. Yeah, You have to actually listen to the people who are listening to your show. And that's why we love to get listener feedback and we love to talk about it on the air. ASCPA gets these people on their, on their town halls saying, get rid of the 150 hour requirement. All they keep saying is no. <laughs> and I think there's actually like, like a real, I don't know what you call it. It's they're just not looking at the data. They're not, they're ignoring the data that they published about this problem. And I want to, I want to play this clip for you. Uh, let me okay. see if I can share my screen here. All right. Now I'm just waiting for the video to render. So 
While I wait for the video to render, allow me to read the email, because there's both an email and there's a appearance on the AICPA town hall. So here's the email from the chair of the AICPA. As you close out the year, you're no doubt reflecting on a challenging 2022 and anticipating what lies ahead. For many of you, recruiting and retaining highly qualified staff remains a top concern. Accounting, like many other professions, is facing talent shortages. Over the past several years, we've seen a trend of fewer young people entering the profession. Enrollment in higher education is in decline. College and exam-related costs are high. Many starting salaries at firms are too low. So they, they see the problem, right? This trend cannot continue. For our profession to survive, we must grow our student pipeline, and this means addressing multiple factors, including attractiveness, cost, time, and reward. And that's exactly what the AICPA and its partners aim to do. We all know there are no quick solutions to these issues, but the AICPA, together with stakeholders across the profession, is poised to tackle them. Some believe reducing educational requirements for initial licensure is a silver bullet. We fundamentally disagree. This action would come at a great cost, undermining the CPA license itself, and would not solve a very complicated problem. Lowering the bar for entry into the CPA profession in even one state would immediately introduce new barriers that would make it harder for CPAs to practice across state lines, physically or virtually. In addition, such a move undermines the hard-earned reputation of the CPA profession as an esteemed and trusted profession. This reputation we hold as CPAs is one of the reasons I came into the profession. Okay, so let's just stop there. The chair of the AICPA, Anup Mehta, is saying that that removing the fifth year would lower the bar for entry and and then cr- like create all these barriers among like practicing among states. But nobody is saying that we should just do it in one state, right? We should do it everywhere. Yeah, they, their guidance should push down to the states to do it everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and I think about the accounting twins, right? Because one chose to go down the CPA route and one chose and, not to. And I think the reason David, why is for one didn't want to do school when, again. When you say accounting twins, I don't think oh. all of our listeners know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, sorry. So they, uh, I'm out of context. So Who are the accounting pod- twins? <clears throat> so there's another podcast that I produce called the Accounting Twins Podcast. And the concept is they are true twins, same DNA, same grade point averages, same everything, but one went public, one went private. And I think the major reason why is one did not want to go to school anymore. Mm-hmm. And so she's not going to get her CPA because she's not going to go to school. So that's fifty percent right there. You the, the like the, there's your numbers. It's happening. <laughs> so I, I think this idea that it's going to create problems among the states can be dealt with. Like that's not a, a good reason to not do this. Just because you have to do a lot of work doesn't mean you shouldn't do something, right? Just because something's hard doesn't yeah. mean you shouldn't do something. Also, the second point that it undermines the hard-earned reputation as a profession, esteemed and trusted profession. Like I, I don't think anybody actually believes that the fifth year adds any esteem to our profession. I think most people who are not accountants have no clue that there's even this requirement. Nobody knows other than accountants about it. So it's, and it's not like having a fifth year of college, you know, or a master's degree makes you like, it it doesn't. Once you have the CPA, nobody's paying attention to your degree. Exactly. And that's something I've heard for years is that nobody cares about your degree once you have the CPA license. So why the the fifth year doesn't matter. I'd love to see evidence to the contrary. And then there's this other third point. Lowering the bar would also fuel the efforts of well-funded and well-connected think tanks aggressively seeking to eliminate professional licensing, including our CPA credential. And this is one I've seen the AICPA go to in the past. This is the one where they're in bed with the real estate licensed professionals and the uh, you can't braid hair professionals. They're they're in where they help fund those groups, those political organizations. But it's like, I I haven't heard a peep about this being a problem in any state for years. Like, this is not a real issue. I feel like this is a straw man issue. Because what he's saying, uh, what he's saying here is, if we give in on this 150-hour rule, it's a slippery slope, and then we're gonna, they're going to yeah. twist our arm to, to get rid of CPA entirely. Right, like, that's which what is... what he's saying. It's, yeah, which is, I think, absurd. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's not going to happen. He says... Our ability to fight back has largely depended on the profession's uniform and rigorous approach to the education exam and experience requirements across the country. If we lose uniformity, the risk to CPA licensure rises sharply and swiftly, and our ability to defend it exponentially decreases. So I, I think this goes back to this idea that like, if one state did this, it would be a problem. And I agree, we don't want to lose uniformity. We want to have actually the exact same requirements in every state. Ideally, CPAs should not be licensed state by state. That's antiquated and old-fashioned, and that 
is what holds back the profession is that in order to get the profession to do anything, you have to get 50, more than 50 jurisdictions to also do it. It's like, it's like an accounting firm with 50 partners that all have to agree on everything in order to get anything done. So really we should, we should nationalize the CPA license so that it can be agile. That's what we should do. So they're trying to protect it because they don't want it to go away. But ultimately, is this protection going to kill it? Because there's now a decade of numbers of downward trends. I think some of some one of our listeners who's really good at Excel could take these numbers and tell us the year nobody will nobody will get any more CP. Like there'll be zero people passing the CPA exam. Like based on the current downward trends, there is this point of nobody getting the CPA at all. Well, so what I, are they protecting? I saw a chart the other day that showed computer science majors versus accounting majors since, I don't know, for decades now, right? And accounting has been on a decline, going down slowly, whereas computer science has been on this upward trajectory that looks almost exponential. And they crossed not that long ago. So now we have more people becoming computer science majors than becoming accounting majors. And the decline for accounting, I mean, it could stretch off forever, right? But I think the real risk is that we're not keeping up with economic growth. Like, just to stay at the right employment levels, accounting should be growing every year. We need more accountants. Every business needs accountants. So every time the economy grows and a new business starts, you need more accountants. And we're shrinking. So it's actually worse than the numbers look. When 17% of accountants quit the profession, that's, you know, if economic growth happens, it's like, you know, 5%. We got to add those numbers together to get the real scope of the problem. And we're in a unique profession where demand never really goes down. Right. It's not like our labor, yeah, our... The supply has to keep up with demand because demand really never goes away. If it does, I mean, we have a major economic issue in the whole world and the country. And so, so after these three arguments against removing the 150-hour rule, Mr. Meta continues, an intentional and coordinated effort to preserve and grow our profession must be made. This is why we are laser-focused on addressing the real issues that keep students from seeking CPA licensure. The real issues. Like, we know that the 150-hour rule discourages them. We know the cost and the time discourages them. And it's way bigger than the cost of the exam. I mean, there's also the, the work-life balance inside of firms, which I agree needs to change. And I've got an idea for how we could do that, which I want to talk about. But like the thing that we can actually control, the thing the AICPA, the one thing the AICPA can control is education. I guess it's two things, the education requirement and the CPA exam. Those are the two things they can, do, can change. And that's the hot tub in their backyard that Chase was talking about. They can change that. They can do it, or they can get everybody together who can do it. They're the one organization that can actually do this. So then they talk about creating some sort of draft plan, which I've never seen. I, what, the draft plan, though, like everything they talk about is basically encouraging more students to come into the profession, which is just not going to, it's not going to work. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. One thing we haven't talked about yet is how LiveFlow helps accountants and bookkeepers to use LiveFlow successfully in their firms. For starters, LiveFlow has amazing customer support. They offer instant help 24-7 from real humans via chat, or if you prefer, you can schedule a Zoom meeting, choose to call them, or even email the founders directly. LiveFlow has a library of plug-and-play templates such as consolidated P&L and flash reports to enable and scale across your clients in a snap. They also have dozens of blog posts from other LiveFlow users where they share their best practices and they even share their Google Sheets. So you can just copy them and start using their best practices in your firm instantly. In my opinion, this is what really sets LiveFlow apart from thousands of other QuickBooks Online apps, this ability to build, share, and scale on each other's work. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 20% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. So anyway, I got the video going. I want to play this video because I think this is also quite revealing. So this is Mr. Meta at an AICPA town hall. I tell you, I've been going around and uh, um, talking to a lot of folks. And one of the things that uh, constantly comes up is uh, retention, you know, of talent, finding the talent, retaining them. Um, how do we advance? We need to take a people-first approach. And uh, people should be at the center of all our decisions. How we continue to provide flexibility, um, advancement opportunities, create that purpose that's so vital. 
And I'll tell you, if you look at uh, in firms, organizations, top performers, what are they looking for? Um, especially, you know, with Gen Ys and Gen Zs, uh, they need to know that their work matters, and that is critical. Um, they want an opportunity to grow. They want an opportunity to, um, they want leaders to invest in them, to be able to provide value and, and see their career grow. Employees don't need uh, to enjoy 100% of the things that they do. 20% is all they need, right? And I tell you, it's been an experience of a lifetime um, meeting so many of our members, uh, students, faculty, state society um, leaders and staff. And, and I tell you, I couldn't be more proud of this profession. So I've visited about 10 universities um, in the last four months. You know, September, they start, went back to school. Um, and I've spoken to about 2,500 students and uh, faculty members and, and actually you know, firms that are around the universities and where they recruit from. You know, I know also we talk about um, student graduating and accounting, and, you know, we find that uh, at least the data is showing that not many are sitting for the CPA. I tell you, that's not what I'm seeing. Um, if I was to estimate, if nearly 90 to 95% of the accounting majors that I spoke to are going to be sitting for the CPA exam. That is exciting. Um, I'll tell you one, uh, I was in Puerto Rico. I spoke to 160 students, all accounting graduates, um, and nearly every single one of them was gonna sit for the CPA exam. I was so impressed with their dedication, their drive, and, and they're willing to put in the effort. And so this is what really is exciting about our profession, and, and, and that's why I'm so passionate about it. Eric, before I turn it back to you, the point is the purpose of the profession has to be sold. And yes. Noob does a great job of doing that. The impact this profession does for entrepreneurs, for the capital market system, what, is, what resonates with this generation coming in is not a 40-year career and always having a job. It's the impact we make in society. So can I call bullshit on his 90% of the people he spoke to are going to sit for the CPA exam? Yeah, please. Because do. that's before... They've started grad school. That's before they've taken a job at a firm and they're working 70 hours a week. That yeah. is before maybe they fall in love and start a family, right? Like it's, it's total crap because right. the reality is it isn't 90%. It's nowhere close to that. No. Like, like they, they've, they're convincing themselves. It, yeah. it is like yeah. Kool-Aid drinking at, at, yeah. at some major level. It's, and on top of that, like what is his role at the AICPA? Um, he's the chair. He is the, you know, chair of the AICPA, like the board of So in board. four months, he went to 10 campuses? Like, and then when he says he spoke to 2,500 students, like he spoke at 2,500 students. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Like, it's it's total know. denial. It, it's total denial of the, the real problem. And like Barry Melanson, the president of the AICPA, you know, the number one employee there, he basically summarized at the end, we need to sell the profession better. But they don't have a marketing problem. They have an operational problem. And also, how do you sell the meaning of a profession that, yes, supports capital markets when like a third of audits fail? A third of audits are, are failing, and it's because people are overworked, that we're not collecting enough proper evidence, that partners are not incentivized properly. You know what I mean? You can't sell something that... If you just, if you make a crappy car, hiring better salespeople, right, or going out and trying to get people to, like, that's not the problem. You need to make a better car. You can't market, like, you, you know, I say this to apps, like, you can't market, uh, you can't save a bad product by marketing. You just can't. Right. And the naive part of this is this younger generation, they're not stupid. They can go on Reddit. They can do a couple Google searches. They can see TikToks. They can learn about the realities of the profession. So you can't market them. Like, like markets are conversations. Yeah. And so you have to participate in the conversation. You cannot market one way at them. They're going to find the real answers out there. And the real stories are there. They're everywhere. Oh, it's, yeah. When the mainstream media is publishing articles about how we don't have accountants and why they're not being accountants, like your yeah. marketing is not going to work. It's it over. Was You've already lost. It was like top 10 stories in the Wall Street Journal for days. 
the well, comments. You said you tweeted it on or tweeted it. You you posted on LinkedIn. It's like your all time viewed post or something ridiculous. Yeah. So I posted that on LinkedIn. I posted a little summary of the problem, and then I proposed a solution because I don't want to be the guy who's just saying. You know, the silver bullet solution is removing the 150-hour requirement, because I don't believe that's true. I think there's a lot more that needs to be done. I just think that the 150-hour requirement is the most obvious bad one. But there are other ways to solve- Because they can map the decline with the 150-hour rule coming in, right? I I mean, probably. I I don't know if anyone's tried to do that, but the decline has been, you know, going on for decades now. Decades. The 150-hour rule has been around for decades. So- I posted another solution to the problem on LinkedIn, and that actually really surprised me at how much response this got. So I said, here's how to solve, here's how to save the accounting profession. The top 100 accounting firms agree to stop exempting their people from overtime. Every person in the firm earns one and a half times pay for hours over eight per day and 40 per week. This creates a financial incentive for firms to figure out how to create a culture that prioritizes both profits and healthy living. That includes both staff and partners. If all the large firms did it together, they'd be on an even playing field. Working 70 to 80 hours a week for even a few months at a time is not healthy. Busy season is the main reason students avoid an accounting career, and it's a big reason we lose so many young accountants in the first few years of their careers. If we want to save the profession, we need to rethink the busy season. That means rethinking the business model built around it. And that's gotten the probably the greatest response of anything I've ever written on... LinkedIn. And I'm just saying, let's have overtime protections for accountants. I, I think some people don't really, aren't really aware that accountants are exempted from overtime. So like when you go to work for a big firm, they can just work you as much as they can. And they do. <laughs> and this is why so many leave the industry after a year and a half or two yeah. years. They just leave the industry entirely. So here's what the AICPA could do to help uh, improve the profession for its young accountants who are leaving. Uh, and that's what's happening is they're really enthusiastic, like Mr. Meta encountered, right? They, they are saying, yes, I want to get the CPA. Uh, then they go into a firm and they realize, oh, crap, this sucks. I'm leaving before I get my CPA. And so how do we combat that? We get the firms to actually create a positive work-life balance. And it's very difficult for one firm to do that because it's expensive. Right? You have to pay your people more, you have to work them less, and that gives you a disadvantage in the marketplace. But what if something like the ASCPA went to all the firms and said, all right, we are going to hold you to creating a good work environment, and we are going to reduce the hours together, and we're going to increase the pay so that we're all on the same even playing field, uh, and we're going to shame the firms that treat their employees like crap. And you should want to participate in this big firm X because... In theory, this is going to fill the bottom of your funnel even more with more bodies because that's what they want in the end. They want more bodies. Yep. I think it's a good idea. Now, I mean, you sent that to your AICPA representative <laughs> to get their feedback. Well, so I would love to get Mr. Meta on the program to talk about the issues facing the profession because I feel like he, what he is hearing, I feel like he's not getting the truth. I feel like he's not getting the right information and the right data because the people feeding him this information have an agenda. And it's sort of like uh, all these stories we've been hearing about Putin in Russia. Putin is making bad decisions because all of his generals and advisors are telling him what they think he wants to hear, which is that everything's going great. But really, it's not. Yeah, because we're, and we've been doing this podcast now four and a half, push, you know, starting to push our five years. And I've yet to see the study that says AICPA held a roundtable with 30 people that recently just quit accounting. Yeah. And here's the results of that roundtable. Like, like they're not talking to the people leaving. So this there's is no, what, there's no exit survey. This is what I would love to do in 2023 is get the voices of the people who are leaving. Get the exit interviews, collect the exit interviews of all the people leaving the profession and feed that into an AI and figure out what is the reason they are leaving and prove it with data. We know it anecdotally. We hear from those people who are leaving. We see it on Reddit, but maybe we can convince the leaders of our profession if we actually show them unequivocal data. They have some of the data, but they're just choosing to ignore it right now. But I, I think there needs to be more data. 
And, you know, I didn't leave us any room for predictions, David. <laughs> no, I, I think we can. Like, it's okay to go a little late on this one, I think, because I think we have it like there's there's a couple things on crypto we can touch and then we can talk. The prediction we can get into a little bit. It doesn't have to be too much. What if we did it? Um, because it ties back to what we have. What if we just did a double episode today, David, and then we could take a break for once? You know, we haven't <laughs> taken a break in four years because you make me do this every single week. I mean, I appreciate you for that. It's like the best thing that's ever happened to me is doing this every single week. So, 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 so. we want to run long and yeah. cut, cut, cut this into two. We cut could do that. Cut this into two episodes. Yeah. All right. Time for the classifieds. I don't care where you live in the United States. If you're a CPA, you have to take ethics continuing education. And I don't care who you are and where you live. You hate taking ethics continuing education that's why me greg kite and my buddy adam browd we created a podcast called drunk ethics where we unfold and uh, expose all of the inner secrets of not just ethics but how to become more ethical and to promote ethical behavior at your workplace and we do that while we are getting progressively more faced during the course of each episode in each episode we take seven shots every seven minutes and so at the beginning we are scholarly and by the end we are drunk yet still scholarly if you're interested in this podcast which i know you are anyone can listen to the podcast for free it's out there you can find it but if you want cpe credit for it nasba certified cpe credit it is a premium course on Earmark, so if you're already a subscriber to Earmark, it's going to be more than that. But listen, it's worth it because of two reasons. First off, you know your company. You know your firm's going to pay for it and not you. And second of all, it's worth it, damn it. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.